Ladies, hands up if you were in uh, cold rain yesterday and you're at the ladies, uh, the ladies thing. Here's Angie, she's going to share a couple of things. Thank you. Do you know what, I'm just going to say something very quickly this morning. And we talk a lot about to-do lists, but I think a lot of us have a list called the don't-do list, which is too big. So whatever that is, don't do women's ministry, or don't do men's ministry, don't do life group, don't do cafe, not into that. Don't do conferences, okay? But I want to say something this morning. God does men's ministry. God does women's ministry. God does life groups. God does cafe. And how do I know that? Because God turns up. God turns up at these places, okay? And I think for some of us this morning, we need to think about our don't do lists. And those words that we're speaking over ourselves are have of no value whatsoever. And what does a conference look like for the women of Carrick Vineyard? Well, it's it's a conference, but it's travelling up and down together in cars. It's sharing coffees together. And it's when we're talking about sharing life together, that's what we're talking about. And last night, it looked like having dinner together in Tide's restaurant. And, you know, when we're sitting around talking to each other, and it's good fun and it's good banter, but there are kingdom conversations going on at those tables. You know, and if you know me, I love round-the-table stuff. I love uh, eating and all that and sharing, and it's a great place to share life with people. But when you're away together, when there's things to really talk about and things have happened, there are there was kingdom conversations going on at that table. I could see one lady sharing her story with another. One lady came up to, to me and said, God is changing my life. God is changing my life. And, you know, there's opportunities week in, week out at this church, prayer ministry, life groups, but we need to take them. We need to grab the opportunities. Conferences as well. God is at conferences. Um, the other thing I want to say is that last night, um, well, there were 950 seats, okay, squashed into CCV, and I've been there quite a few times. This was the squashiest, I think, that I've felt very squashy. And, you know, God does conferences. And if you wanted to come out for prayer ministry, for where those ladies were sitting together, there was really only one option. You had to climb out. You had to climb over seats, move stuff, move bags, so it wasn't an easy climb. And the women of Carrickfergus Vineyard were climbing over seats to get up to the front to be ministered to. And that, oh, that just gives me this most fantastic feeling. And I, even when I'm sitting here on Sundays and you can hear chairs moving, you know people are responding to what God has for them. And I, I absolutely love that. And, you know, we've been talking about discipling over the last wee while. And I just want you to think about that and what you say. So, ladies here, maybe you were sitting chatting to somebody and they were talking about a book they were reading. And maybe... You know, you said, here, listen, what about book club on Friday night? I've never been. Do you fancy going? Or did you say, don't do book, don't do books, don't do, don't do book club, don't do that. And for the men here, you're sitting, you've been maybe discipling someone, you've been with them, you, you know, you've been stewarding them, you've been just even just chatting and you sort of bump into them in the cafe week on week. And then you have that conversation and somebody mentions some kind of men's ministry. Do you say, do you know what? Haven't, haven't been to something like that for a long time. Do you want to go? Do you want to see what God's going to do there? Or do you say, don't, don't, do men, don't do men's ministry, don't do conferences? Well, I just want to say this morning that God does men's ministry and God does conferences. And I think our don't do lists need to get shorter, everybody in this room. When I'm talking about life groups there, I know there's probably somebody saying, oh yeah, I didn't sign up. Well, you've missed out. If you didn't sign up for a life group, you've missed out. And you've, the good news is we have a God of 
lots of chances and in January you can sign up again for Life Group. And that's what I want to say this morning. Well done. Excellent. If you're a, yeah, why not? Go ahead. If you're a man, if you're a man here, uh, you permission to get your phone out right now. Uh, if you use a calendar or a planner or whatever, um, on Friday, January the 15th, uh, we're going to open the venue. Uh, in the evening, we're going to get some food, get some drink, and uh, just have some fun together as guys. And I'm going to open the conversation. It's just a conversation around, guys, what are we going to do? What are we doing together as, as, as a church? I'm, it's not a promise of a men's ministry. Let me just uh, hit that one on the head. Uh, but it could be, okay? But it's not a promise. But it's merely a, at the beginning of a conversation. Guys, how do we, what do we want to do? Because we, we need to sit across a table as well. But also, we, we don't always just do sitting across a table that well. But we like to be in the fields. It's a bit random, isn't it? We like to be. It doesn't matter where we like. So, uh, so that's that. That's the, uh, January fifteenth. Uh, I should have said, Angie is our reach uh, lady. She's in charge of our ladies' ministry and does a stunning job. And this is Gillian, and she's going to come now. Gillian is our children's pastor. And uh, does a stunning job with all of our young people. Uh, but it's not just our children that she works with. She goes out and about as well. So here's a story from her. Um, as Andrea said, um, some of you don't do ministries of different sort. And I'm sure there's loads of you saying you don't do kids ministry. But God does do kids ministry. And he does schools ministry as well. So um, I'm going to tell you some stories from things that happened this week. It's been a bit of a roller coaster week. If anybody knows me, they know I don't like roller coasters. I like to know where I'm standing. I like firm ground and I like to know what's coming ahead. But um, this week I was in school and I was walking down the corridor and all the kids are going, yes, Mrs. Grant's in and high five. And we get some of them come running out of the class. The teacher's still teaching and they're coming running out of the class going, Mrs. Grant, yeah. And I'm going, brilliant. It's nothing to do with my dazzling personality. It has absolutely nothing to do with my phenomenal lessons. It is only to do with the fact that they expect God to turn up. So we're sitting in class on um, one day and um, the kids were like, sitting doing their work and I'm going God's presence is here it was tangible it was electric I mean it was just absolutely amazing and I turned to the kids and I said God is here and this wee fellow at the front goes I know I can feel him and I'm like that is just so amazing and I turned around and there's another wee girl sitting on the floor and she's sitting with her arms like this and I'm like what are you doing and she goes God's here I'm giving him a hug and I'm like, what do you say to that? Then they're coming up and they're telling me how they've been praying for God to change situations in their families. And he is see, they're seeing change. And I'm like, this is just absolutely amazing. They have an expectation that they will encounter God in class. And he turns up. And he is faithful. And they, they just that's what they expect. They expect to pray to God and that he will answer. And he does. And that's amazing. These are unchurched kids. We talk about um, in school that this is their church. Um, because a lot of them just can't get to church. So um, that was just an amazing day. And it just totally blew my mind away. They have this expectation and God turns up. So the next day I'm in another class and I had prepared the same way I've prepared all my other lessons. Um, but I'd have to be honest and say I didn't expect that God would turn up. And if I doubt that God will turn up, I make sure that my time is filled. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I have extra activities just in case things get out of control. So the result of that 
We were probably one minute away from complete chaos. It was manic. We had one child cutting holes out of his school jumper with a pair of scissors. We had two children, two wee girls, decided to fill their skirts with water and bring it up to me, going, look what I've got. Um, We had other children climbing through desks and under tables and 15 other kids all looking for your attention at the same time. So I did what any sane person would do. I just go off to the side, leave them to it, sat down in a pile of Nick's catalogues and went, God, you have to do something. You have to show me that this is worth it, that I'm not just wasting my time. So I brought the kids over, sat them down, had my nice calm head on and said, right, let's just go on. So we were talking about uh, the woman at the well and I was saying, you know how when she came to get water, she got so much more than she had bargained for. And I just said, is there anybody, after a bit more explanation, of course, is there anybody who wants to give their, you know, get, get what she got? Basically have Jesus speak into their life, know that they're forgiven. And five little hands go up. So at this point, I'm trying to talk them out of it. I'm going, now, are you sure this is a big commitment? It's a lifetime commitment. It's not just for today. It's not about keeping me happy. And they're going, yes, yes. So I took them over to the side. And I said, right, the first thing that you need to do is you need to tell God you're sorry for the bad things. And I'm just about to go, you can do it in your head. And they start just pouring out all this stuff that they've done wrong. And I'm like, I don't know adults who would do that. You know, and these kids are literally sitting, pouring out to God everything that they've ever done wrong. And I nearly like going, okay, look at the time. We need to hurry up. Okay, let's move on to the next bit. So they did. We spent some time praying together and they, they gave their life to Jesus, which was just absolutely amazing. So there was five of them. So God showed up when I called him to, when I asked him to come, my expectation was he wasn't going to be there, but I was wrong. All they needed was the invitation to, to do his thing. So I gave it to him and he, um, he took over, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, we have, a, we, we say up in rockets, you know, that when God moves, anything can happen, which is just absolutely fantastic. But it, the last thing I want to finish off with is um, on in June, I stood here in Vision Sunday and shared what God's vision, what I felt God's vision for um, our kids' ministry was. I just want to remind you of that. God's vision for our kids has no limits and goes beyond what we are capable of dreaming or envisioning, whatever that word is, even what we would dare to risk on our own. I said I believed that God's vision for our kids was not going to be held inside the walls of Carrick Vineyard for much longer, but it was pushing to break free onto the streets of this town. I wasn't sure what it was going to, how it was going to happen or how we could facilitate it but I knew what the results of it would look like. It would be a generation of kids that are sold out for God, who know him and who are in love with him. And this alone drives what they do and who they are. They turn up expecting to encounter God, to worship him wholeheartedly, secure in the knowledge that encountering God's Holy Spirit will be life-changing. I think that has begun. Amazing. Isn't that amazing what's happening? It's wonderful. And well done for being so faithful, just stewarding that, being obedient to God in that. And uh, that's the thing, when we're obedient to what he calls us to, and when we step out the boat, he always meets us. He always meets us in that place and uh, is faithful to us. So that's wonderful. There's a lot of voices here this morning, and uh, I don't want to take up too much time speaking now because uh, uh, we have another story lined up, which I think is going to really encourage and really going to inspire folks as well. So I want to leave some time for that. But I wanted an opportunity to finish what I started last week, if you were here last week. But we looked at Luke chapter 9, um, and we're just going to follow on and finish that conversation, and I will speed up and not spend so much time on it as we continue our conversation on discipleship. Uh, there are nine passages or nine separate events in Luke chapter 9 uh, between Jesus and his disciples. We looked at five of them last week, 
and uh, we're going to do four here together uh, this week. So Chantelle's going to read, and uh, then I'm just going to share a few things. You can read straight from there if you want. The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Super. So if we remember last week, the uh, preceding passage was the Mount of Transfiguration or the Transfiguration when Jesus, uh, together with Moses and Elijah, the most incredible um, experience of glory of God is just there in such a tangible way. And the disciples have fallen asleep. And Peter, James and John, his closest three, accompanied Jesus at this moment, this precious, incredible encounter. And uh, so they're on their way down. And uh, they're met by a crowd of people. There is a dad and there is a son. And the son is demon-possessed and there's uh, convulsing and all kinds of things going on. And the man, desperate to see his son set free, as any father would want, comes to Jesus and says, would you have a go? Could you do something about my son? Because I've asked your disciples, we assumed the remaining nine disciples, but they could not drive out the demon. And Jesus is met with his, his words, are harsh and his words are frustrating. He says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replies, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? When we read those verses, when we read those words of Jesus, we can sense, my goodness, that's so out of order. He doesn't direct them, I believe, directly at just the disciples. It's at everyone, the crowds, the people who are there. He's calm, he's frustrated, he's like, I've done that and I've shown you how to do that. Why, why could you not do that? And the reason I'm saying this to us this morning is part and parcel of discipleship. Sometimes we, uh, we, uh, the people that we're investing in are doing great and they're going great guns. And sometimes it's like they mess up. Or they just do something wrong again. Or they, they're, they're, they're not faithful in the things that God's called them to. And there's just this tension of frustration of, ah, oh, come on. It's a bit like parenting. <laughs> See a few eyes go, oh, yes. But it is, it's like that. But that's like it with each other, isn't it? It's like one minute, it's like, oh, wow, that's incredible. Next minute, it's like, oh, for goodness sake, we've been over that before. And that's just part and parcel of, of Jesus investing his life into his uh, disciples. Next one. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. 
Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and made him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, forever he is not against you, is for you. Brilliant. We've got three things happening here. The first one is, Jesus is preparing them for what's ahead. It's the second time he says, this is what's going to happen to me. And I don't fully understand, I don't fully grasp how they didn't grasp it. It says it was hidden from them. But nonetheless, what Jesus is doing is he's instructing them. He's giving them, this is what's going to happen to me. And again, that's part and parcel of the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. He's imparting information. He's imparting something that's going to happen sometime in the future. And we know that that sometime in the future does take place. And afterwards, it all begins to kind of make sense to the disciples. And sometimes actually in discipleship, when we cast vision for someone else, it's like we have the ability to see the future, not like in a crystal ball type mumbo jumbo kind of way. But because we've been there, we know what's coming. Again, liken it to parenthood. We can say these things to our children who are experiencing all kinds of things. Why? Because we've been there and we know And it's an opportunity to kind of say, this is what's coming. This is what's coming. The second thing that we find in this one passage is, oh, this is so classic. Amongst all the disciples, they start kind of arguing or fighting, who's the greatest? I mean, you can imagine, can't you? Twelve guys together with their chest puffed out, going, oh, I think I'm harder than you. Oh, I think I'm better than you. And just that, that just happens, right? And Jesus, love it, knowing their thoughts, knowing what's kind of going on in their conversation, does something absolutely brilliant. He takes a child, he takes a child, and he brings the child before them. And he says, anyone who becomes like this, who anyone who welcomes this child like me, he is the greatest in the kingdom. And again, he models something, this topsy-turvy thing called the kingdom. The topsy-turvy, the kingdom, because the world says those who are the greatest are the best-looking are the ones with the biggest bank accounts, are the ones that drive the fastest cars, are the ones who are most successful and talented. That's what the world says about greatness, isn't it? And Jesus, because the kingdom is so opposite to the world that we experience, he takes that and he turns it on his head and he says, this is what it's about. It's about becoming like a child. He is the greatest. Models it again by washing the disciples' feet. This is greatness. In my kingdom, here on earth, this is what greatness looks like. And then thirdly, um, we have another thing going on here where someone is trying to drive out demons in Jesus' name. But John says that we tried to stop him, Jesus, because he's not one of us. Someone else is having a go. Someone knew the phrase way back then that everyone gets to play and they thought it's not fair, the 12 disciples, they're getting to do all the stuff here. We're going to have a go. And they have a go. And John sees it and he's like, oh, that can't be right. He's not one of us. He's not one of the team. And he rebukes him, tells him to stop him. But Jesus, what does he say? He says, do not stop him. For whoever is not against you is for you. 
And again, it reiterates and underlines and bold and italics. It is not for the paid professionals. It is, it is for all of us who know and love Jesus. The, the Jesus stuff is imparted to anyone who loves and knows Jesus. And it's over to us to actually go and be obedient in those things. Chance. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Okay, so they're on their way. They're on their way to Jerusalem. They have to go through Samaria. Samaria, Israel, they're kind of not best friends. And Jesus has to go through with his disciples, go to a village. He sends some disciples on ahead to get everything ready or some messengers on ahead to get everything ready. And they come back and say, no, this is not a good place. We we shouldn't go there. They're not going to welcome us because they don't really welcome this Jewish rabbi who's moving through their village. And so they kind of avoid and kind of go around to another place is what Jesus ends up doing. But it's the response of the disciples, which I love. It's so heartening for us. They get it wrong. They get it completely wrong. They're right up there with Peter and him putting his foot in it so many times. James and John, who get nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. That was their nickname, James and John. This is what he, they had proposed to do to the people of this Samaritan village he says, he turns to Jesus says, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? That's pretty harsh, right? <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> it's like, oh, they're well out of order. Let's get some fireworks going on, God, and we'll get it down from heaven. We're going to destroy them. And again, you just, when we read, we can read this stuff, can't we? And go, oh, da, 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 da. that's the Bible done for the day. Great, away we go. Or we can stop. And we can ponder and we can chew over this stuff and think, my goodness, what a strong reaction to a situation. And we're heartened by this because the disciples, well-meaning, I think, somewhere in that, get it completely wrong. And Jesus, in discipleship of disciples, rebukes them, corrects them. No, lads, that's not such a great idea. Why don't we just avoid the village and go somewhere else instead? Great chance. Last one. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. We have three conversations with three different people, uh, all about following Jesus and being a disciple. The first one asks Jesus if he can follow him. The second one is invited by Jesus to follow him. And the third one, again, volunteers to follow Jesus. And each of them have their own excuse or their own um, reason why they shouldn't or couldn't. And it, 
through this story, through those three conversations, it merely highlights the cost of following Jesus. The cost of laying down our lives to literally go and uh, follow him. I remember when I became a Christian at the age of 16, 17. I remember the wiry old vicar, faithful, loving man who's still alive and must be whiter than he was, his hair whiter than it was when he laid hands and prayed with me, David Crowed. And I said to him, I said, David, I want to become a Christian. I think this is right. I think that God is inviting me and calling me to come follow him. I didn't use that language because I was 16 and you would never speak like that, right? So... I, I, I just say, I think this is right and I should do this, but I don't want to change. I, I like what's going on in life. Maybe some of you have heard me say this before. And his wise words to me were, Paul, if you're going to do this and you mean this and you're going to do this properly, you will change. You will change. It's inevitable. Because the more that we know the person of Jesus, the more we become like him. And I kind of struggled with that and I wrestled with that because I knew in my heart this was the right thing to do. But the ways of the world and the things and their attraction, their draw, they were quite interesting and attractive too, being quite honest. And, and I kind of was living this kind of dual kind of life thing going on for a, for a year or two, really. Uh, but the thing is this, that another man, um, he was actually uh, the chaplain to the local prison uh, that I used to visit. And uh, was let out each time. And um, he, was, he was a lovely man too. And I kind of explained my quandary to him. And, and he just said, my advice to uh, folks that he was working with in prison was this. He was like, just give 5% of your life away. Just give him a bit more away. Give him a bit more. And I, that really actually in that moment helped me. Because at the end of the day, to be a follower of Jesus means giving it all. A hundred percent. Every bit of our lives, every past failure, every emotion, everything that we have, the relationships that we have, that's it. It's laying everything down. And, And I believe that's what God invites us into. But it is a process, right? It is a process of becoming that kind of takes place over time and is incredibly exciting. Uh, two weeks ago, Johnny Graham spoke, and uh, he, at the end, brilliantly invited uh, Peter and Jeff, two other fellows in the church, up to share their story, how they're intentionally kind of uh, getting together and uh, just sharing their lives with each other in a, in, a, in a, I don't really like the word, although we've been talking about it for weeks, discipleship kind of manner. We could maybe call it a more 21st century sort of name, but you get the gist. And, and what I wanted to do is invite now Naomi and uh, Hazel Gurner uh, up. Uh, that's your cue to start moving. And uh, come. And because uh, this is just another story or another example of what I think is discipleship that's been going on over the last uh, while. And uh, so we're looking forward to hearing what you've got to say. Yeah, I'm going to go first. So Jesse came down to big church this morning because he wanted to hear mommy talk. Um, and I said to him, have you any advice for me, Jesse? And he said, well, I think you should talk about God. And I think you should tell everybody what a great man he is. <laughs> Hopefully I cover that. Um, so I first met Hazel about two years ago when I signed up to her life group, which was Stepping into Prophecy. 
Um, and like Andrea said, I didn't do life groups. Um, but it was because of the theme um, of prophecy that I went really out of curiosity. Um, the teaching raised questions for me over the weeks. And so Hazel had offered to meet me to explore those just over coffee where we would have more time. So a bit of background on me, really, I suppose just I've always been very aware of a spiritual aspect of life, probably more so as a child. Um, I think in innocence, we are more sensitive to things. And as we get older, we try to find logic and rationalize. However, I could never really understand or explain what was going on around me. And as I grew up, I had to consider the possibility that I had maybe made it all up in my mind. I'm an artist at the end of the day. I have a very vivid imagination. So um, I just became more frustrated with it. And more often than not, I suppose I was afraid of it. Um, but I made a decision one day that I was just going to shut that part of me down and walk away from it. Um, which made me feel quite angry and I suppose sad because I wanted to believe that it was real because it was so real to me, yet it was really hard to integrate that into my everyday life. So when I met Hazel for coffee, I decided just to take a risk and open up that bag again and share that part of me with her. Um, so I was quite pleased then that she was able to say, yes, this is real, and also that I hadn't lost the plot. So this was a really big turning point for me in my walk with God and a whole new, really amazing journey with the Holy Spirit. Um, over the past while, Hazel and I have unpacked some things and looked at this area of my life and how I can use it and channel it for God. Um, this part of my life that I had been struggling with turned out that God wanted to use it. So having Hazel explain that to me and the teaching that I was getting within the life group was so valuable. It was like putting in the missing pieces of a jigsaw and really helping me understand myself and also my identity in God. But this growth in me has been brought about by way of relationship, of fellowship or discipleship. Um, and I've come to know and trust that there's genuine love and care in our relationship. And it reflects the scripture, love one another as I have loved you. Um, I feel this is how Jesus in us reflects or translates to others. It's the unconditional love of the Father, someone taking you as you are. And this is a lovely nurturing quality that Hazel has. Jesus said, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I think Hazel's been paying attention to that. She overflows in the Spirit. Um, she gently guides me in my questions directing me back to God, back to scripture, and I know that love covers it all. So this discipling business has a knock-on effect. What I learned, I can put into practice with others and bring these qualities into my own relationships. Not that long ago, I was a complete mute in my prayer life, and now I'm able to pray with others. God has brought about in me a new heart for people. This year, I found myself um, on the healing ministry team in St. Anne's Cathedral, and more recently signed up to be an intercessor for them. And I find myself volunteering then to stand in the gap, um, to be his vessel and channel to pray with his people, both those that are hurting and for the other team members. Um, I'm able to put into practice what I've learned and use this in and through my business. For those of you who know me, my painting bears very much 
God led. I believe that God also brought Hazel into my life to support me in my business. She plays a vital role in helping me hold it all together. So to wrap it up, I think it's about being brave and taking the risk, opening up and sharing your story and investing your time in God. Get to know him personally and intimately. Um, Before I entered this chapter of my life, I would say I had a good idea of God the Father and I've always loved Jesus, but I think I'm just skimming the surface with the Holy Spirit. And I was just reading in the book of Peter, your life is a journey and you must travel with a deep consciousness of God. And I'm really excited to see where we're going to go next. I'm going to put on my, my reading glasses because, one, I need to see what I've written here, and also because I can't see you then. <laughs> You're just a big fuzzy blur, which is nice. Um, just listening to Naomi, I was thinking that there are several reasons why this works for us, and I want to look at just a few of them. Firstly, God orchestrated this relationship beautifully, but we each had a response to make. Yes, Naomi came along to Life Group and she asked her questions and we met for a cuppa and a chat now and then. Unlike certain others who shall remain nameless, who went for, what was it, a bacon, sausage, egg, soda? Well, Naomi and I are really more tea and chocolate buns sort of girls. But I use the term girls loosely because in the natural there is really quite a wide age range. And Naomi and I wouldn't have naturally gone out clubbing together or anything. Although she she does look very good for 79. (laughs) Now, I have often found that good relationships build during life group, but it's all too easy for those to fizzle out as time goes on and people move on to another group. And and that's that's very natural and understandable. There are certain people that we relate to better than others. And I'm not saying that we should be in regular contact with everybody and buddy-buddy. We have to be sensible. But God had other plans in our case. And thinking back to the evening that Naomi referred to when she first came to our life group, um, she, she happened to mention that she was going to start, or that she had just started a small business. And she was thinking about getting a website built for that. Now, I was literally on my way out to the kitchen, just passing through to get more tea and buns. And I, I heard her say this, but I, th- I thought no more of it. But in the days ahead, it's as if, I felt a small nudge, just a small nudge, um, that God wanted me to offer my help. And so the nudge got stronger and stronger, and I finally emailed Naomi. It was just at the end of the life group term, and I said, look, if you haven't got anybody else to help you with the website, maybe I could help you. Now, I thought, being honest, that that meant I would just build it and show Naomi how to edit it and update it regularly herself how wrong I was. Now, should you ever feel a little nudge like that, make sure that you get confirmation in triplicate, including a 10 by 8 sign coming from heaven and hitting you over the head. Otherwise, it may lead to you never, ever getting your ironing done again. And even when you're out um, for a family meal, you might begin to see little teddy bears in your ice cream. And I've lost my place now. Sorry, bear with me a minute. Here we are. 
But seriously, just that little nudge to do something proved to be clearly from God. And following it became the starting point for our friendship, for an increasingly busy working relationship. But most importantly, God created the opportunity to share him just as we worked alongside each other. Even though we're often located in two different places, Naomi living in Whitehead and I'm in Carrick Fergus and we worked from two different home offices, I really look forward to her personal messages and her discussions and prayer times in among the stock orders and the invoices. Of course, we do meet up from time to time for lunch and to meet potential stalkers. I was going to say stalkers. Stockists. Um, We might meet them as well. But... uh, (laughs) for more tea and buns, of course, and to discuss business, but also to share what God is doing and pray together. Now, how has this worked in in conjunction with the whole topic of discipleship? Well, that side of it developed very easily and naturally as we go about our daily activities, but there have been a a few key factors that have have been influential. It was important for us to establish a safe environment where we could be open and honest with each other, where Naomi could ask her questions and grow and realize that she's valued. But very importantly, I found that it worked because Naomi was very eager to learn about God. She approached things with humility and she responded with a teachable attitude. When Jesus called the disciples, he invited them to leave down their nets and follow him. And they did that. Naomi has made it a priority to follow the Lord, even when that has meant major sacrifices, to, uh, sacrificial changes to her lifestyle. And they have been major. Obviously, I cannot talk about these, but I can assuredly say that God has honored her in the personal areas of her life, and he is clearly blessing the business. I'm privileged to be walking alongside her in this part of the journey, and God has blessed me big time too. So to just finish, I would encourage you to pray about the relationships that God wants you to be a part of, the lives that he wants you to affect. Just follow the little nudges that he gives you, and I think you'll be amazed and blessed at what he does in you and through you. I think also, uh, you don't know, but I'll let you in on the secret. It's not a secret. I, I, I rang Hazel um, early in the week and sort of said, you know, I know you and Naomi hook up together and you, you've invested a lot with Naomi and blah de blah Would you share? And she was just like, oh, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know if she would see it that way or I don't know that she sees that I've kind of done or been in, involved in her life and just like almost oblivious to the effect. And then I rang Naomi. I said, what do you think? She's like, she's had a massive effect in my life. And it's been so, you know, um, so appreciative. And, uh, and, and I think the beauty of that is, is, is almost a, an una, being unaware of how intentional the relationship has been because it's just been following Jesus. That's what it's been about. And so I want to end this morning by simply asking the question, who are you discipling? And who are you investing your life into? And, uh, and I'm going to leave you with it. To go, before the Lord, to go before the Lord and just ask him that. 
Because the truth is, if you know Jesus and you have a relationship with him, you're called to give it away. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian a week. It does matter that you are a Christian. But if it's been a week or 50 years, it's who you're giving it away, who you're investing in, who you're sharing over tea and buns or egg baking sodas or whatever it is, or, or however you do it. But it's, it's, it's important that we do that. So can I leave that with you? Uh, because Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples. And, um, and again, we've given great examples in our own church, between people in our own church. But please don't think for one second that it's about investing just in other people in our four walls. It's about people at home. It's with your children, those of us who are parents. It's with someone in the office. It's someone at the bus stop. It's about anyone and everyone that we're regularly inputting and investing and pointing, saying this is the man that you want to be following. This is the man that you really want to be looking towards right now and becoming like because he's changed and changing my life. You really need to meet him. Let's stand together. The guys are hopefully going to come. Is that okay? Um, we're going to finish together worshipping and then give you some space and time to come forward for prayer at the end. Um, sorry, that wasn't... want to find your life you need to lay it down if you want to find and be all that God made you for it requires surrender it requires pouring out our lives onto the person of Jesus as we do that we take it up and we find it we find life in all its fullness, which is found in him. And we're officially finishing in a moment, but wanted to give you that opportunity to, to do what has been said several times this morning. The invitation is to come for prayer this morning for anything, for any reason. Any, you, you, not even going to list any. You come forwards this morning for prayer this morning and you need to tell us what you want prayer for. But you're coming forwards placing yourself and your life in uh, Jesus' care. And you're going to Jesus with whatever the request is. Whatever you want prayer for this morning. It's an open invitation. And tell the folks who are going to be here ready to pray for you what it is. But otherwise, uh, we're done. And uh, you're so welcome here this morning. Get your kids, grab a coffee. Share your lives with each other. Share your lives with the world and those in it. But thanks for coming and God bless.